0: Well, hello Christ Chapel, wherever you are, whether you're on the internet campus or one of our other campuses, we may be a church scattered in a sense, but we are going to gather around God's word. So if you would take a copy of the scriptures and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, please. First Corinthians chapter seven. Uh, This is going to be kind of part two of our mature subject, uh, mature content. I try to think of a better way uh, to clue you in as to what we're talking about. If you are a parent and would rather your children not hear this stuff, we're going to talk about how Tex-Mex is prepared at home. Okay, Um, (laughs) Tex-Mex. Okay. You, you get. Hope you're getting the signals, and I'm going to give you a second to go ahead and uh, relocate those younger ears that you're ready, to, uh, not ready to have those conversations with, if you so uh, choose. A couple of housekeeping keeping items while. You do that. I wanna draw your attention again to that QR code on the back of the sermon notes that will take you to our elder and deacon nominations. It tells you uh, on the website all the requirements. It tells you uh, all, all the names and everything like that. And uh, if you're an anti-QR coder, we do have some uh, physical copies outside of at any worship venue that you're, uh, you're at. I've, there's, uh, there's an anti-everything these days, as I've heard. And so we made those copies available for you Uh, and just want to say a special thanks personally to a couple of the elders that are rolling off Uh, david white and doug wilson have done a fantastic job a phenomenal job leading our church and so thankful for them yeah yeah Uh, the two guys that are nominated to come on brian dodds and roger lynn have uh, big shoes to fill but i know they will be just as solid as standing on god's word and sensitive to god's spirit as those two men have been in the past. So please uh, take note of that. Constitutional members, you'll be sent an email to vote later on uh, this month. Uh, The second thing I wanted to let you know is that, speaking of the elders, the elders are evaluating and keeping uh, their eyes on the COVID situation that's going on in our community. Uh, there, There are obviously so many factors. They want what's best for you. I promise you, they want what's best for you. So uh, I would ask that you would continue to pray for them. They're evaluating it right now. There are no changes to any of our programming or protocols at this time. But as you know, things are fluid and constantly changing. And so if there are any changes, we will certainly make you aware of those. But please continue to pray for wisdom for them. Pray for our frontline workers. I can't imagine how exhausted they are uh, mentally and physically, emotionally, uh, I'm sure they are just frazzled. So pray for them and certainly pray for those folks that are experiencing COVID, it, it is uh, no joke. And we have, uh, we have a bunch of folks that are experiencing that are in the hospitals, et cetera. And so please uh, keep those things in, in your prayers. Okay, so as I said, we are starting week two of kind of the mature content that we've been talking about. And last week we talked about sexual immorality, which is those sexual acts, which is sexual sin, if it's outside the bounds of marriage and I heard that I disappointed some folks who are not married last week when I said, you wonder what the line is and you had hoped that I had gone into it a little more explicitly and I told you the line between sexual immorality and what is inbounds and out of bounds is marriage. That's, that's the line, and I heard that's where I disappointed people because they wanted some more details about what was in bounds and out-of-bounds. But it's very clear the line is marriage. And so if you're not married, first, I'm sorry I disappointed you. But second, I want you to know that we're going to be talking uh, directly to you next week. And third, I want to go ahead and just give you a heads up. Uh, marriage will not fix all your sexual problems. Marriage is not going to fulfill all your sexual desires uh, marriage certainly is the bounds in which God has put sex for very specific purposes, but it doesn't relieve all the problems. In fact, it sometimes only creates new problems. Uh, if, if you uh, came and were a fly on the wall in my office, which, by the way, is a very ironic thing because did you know flies don't have ears? Okay, anyway. Um, but if you were a fly on the wall in my office... I would tell you that when couples come for counseling the three main issues that they come in at least that are the presenting issues are sex, finances and parenting. Those are the three presenting issues. Now, as a single guy, you th- you know when I was a single guy I thought, you know, when I get married all those things, you know, just are relieved, the 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 sexual things and you go, okay, sex inside the bounds of marriage, great, got it but it just sometimes creates a whole new set of problems. Because sometimes people see sex the same way inside of marriage as they do outside of marriage. The perspective hasn't necessarily changed. What I mean by that is, uh, before you are married, sometimes people see sex as an end, but also sometimes a means. And unfortunately, that doesn't change even when people are married, which gets us into some marriage problems and into marriage counseling. Because if you see your spouse as an end to your sexual desires, then you are objectifying your spouse. You are devaluing who they are as a person created in the image of God. If you see them as a means to an end or sex as a means to an end, then you are manipulating your spouse. And that is devaluing them and not valuing them the way that God has valued them and created them in the image of God. You see, if the, the perspective has to change on both sides, whether it's how you view sex outside of marriage, which you should view it biblically as sexual immorality, but your, your view has to change even when you move inbounds inside of marriage because it doesn't resolve all the problems. It can sometimes just create new ones, which is why I said sometimes, Sex, which God means to unify a couple inside the bounds of marriage, is sometimes the most divisive subject. And so that's why we're going to get Paul's biblical perspective of what sex looks like in bounds inside the bounds of marriage. And so that's why we're gonna study this today because God doesn't only want our church to be undivided. That is his heart. That's why he laid down his life and rose from the dead was that so we would be united as a body together. But he also wants marriages to be unified. Because marriages are under attack today. And so we need to understand how God views that uh, from a biblical perspective. So I know today could bring up some very um, raw emotions, some bad memories, some sensitive subjects for some of you. And I just want you to know we're here to help. Uh, we have re-engage ministry, which you'll hear about at each of our campuses at the benediction. Uh, we have men's ministry, uh, women's ministry. We are here to help. And so we wanna help you as much as we can, know that please. Whatever comes up today, we will help you work through during the week. Uh, But I also want you to know that I've had plenty of uh, women's eyes on this sermon, just to let you know. So my wife has looked at this, I've had three ladies on our staff look at this outline, so this isn't just one guy's perspective. This isn't just a male perspective on what sex in the bounds of marriage looks like, okay? So we're gonna start off just reading the text, it's 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verses one to five. I wanna read the whole thing and then we'll break it down. So follow along with me. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self control. And we'll end there for our time today. May God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear from him. So the first thing that I want you to know before we, I start dissecting the text is that what, one of the things that Paul is doing here is radically redefining what marriage means in Roman culture. In Roman culture, what marriage meant most often was polygamy. It was the idea that one man had many wives and many wives had different areas of responsibility domestically. And so there were some who were just for the house. There were some just for his pleasure. There were some just for procreation and continuing the lineage. And so what Paul is doing here is radically redefining what marriage looks like to that culture. You see, that culture did not value women at all. But Paul is raising up women, and I don't think Paul's just getting this view himself. I think he gets it from Jesus who raised the value of women, and where is Jesus getting it? From creation. When he created in the image of God, let us create them, male and female, he created them. And so he's lifting up the value of women that women and men are equal in value, dignity, and respect in God's eyes and it should be in our eyes as well. And so he's raising up that value as he talks about marriage because he has a design for marriage, meaning God does. You see, sex has God-ordained purposes inside the bounds of marriage. Sex has God-ordained purposes inside the bounds of marriage. That's one of the reasons why I defined it for you so that you understand what his, his ordained purposes can only happen in what he has defined as biblical marriage. And we get that definition in verses one and two. If you look back at it, it says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's in quotes, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So again, Paul is giving you the biblical definition of marriage here. One biological male, one biological female. Monogamous, till death do us part. That is the biblical definition of marriage. Now he's addressing that as he talks about a quote that was a Corinthian quote. If you remember last week, do you remember there were two quotes that were Corinthian quotes that Paul was refuting? Those were the false ideas. Remember we did false idea of biblical truth, false idea of biblical truth. The false ideas is what were in quotes in Genesis, or in Genesis, first Corinthians chapter six, verses 12 and 13. So if you need to go back and look at that, go ahead. But the, he's addressing another Corinthian quote that was being applied to Corinthians christians in that day that christians were bringing into the church if you see it it's back there look at it it is good for a man not to have sexual relationship with a woman now it was this idea that okay there there was a group in corinth i told you it was a, a very um hedonistic place which it definitely was But you had a a different pendulum swinging over here of aestheticism where people said, hey, sex is completely bad. It's not good for anyone to have sex, man or woman. And that's what is in quotes here is what was being quoted inside the Corinthian streets uh, of the day. And Paul is refuting that idea. That would be the false idea again. Because he's saying, no, no, no. It's okay for a man to have sexual relations with a woman and a woman to have sexual relations if it's inside the bounds of marriage. Because God has designed for sex to be in marriage for his very specific purpose. Purposes, and I want to walk you through just a few of those quickly, so that you understand why Paul is doing that for the Corinthians. And I put this as a box on your sermon notes, but I just want to walk through it very quickly. So God's multifaceted purpose for sex inside of marriage: the first one is purity, and that's right there in First Corinthians chapter one, versus, uh, or chapter seven, verse one and two, when he says, "But because of the temptation." to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each wife should have her own husband. Because you are tempted to be sexually immoral, because you are tempted to have sex outside of the bounds of marriage, let's go ahead and create a context which it's okay, which God says it's good for you guys to engage in in sex inside the bounds of marriage, that's okay. So because you're gonna be tempted to sin, Here's the context. Let's put it right here. That's one of the the reasons why he put it in the context of marriage for the purity of each of the individuals. He doesn't want us to go looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in all the wrong faces. One face. One face, one marriage, one spouse. That's how he intended it, purity. The second was procreation that procreation would happen inside the bounds of marriage. Now, some of you might say, duh, but I want you to think about that and think about the context. It's not simply the act of procreation that God wants to occur inside the bounds of marriage, but it's the care for the child that comes thereafter. See, one of the things that was very prominent in Roman culture during that day was infanticide and abortion, Because the the Romans were so sexually promiscuous, what they would do was they would go and have sex with prostitutes or whatnot. And the prostitutes, in order to continue to make money, would abort the baby. Or if the baby was carried to term, one of the requirements for the baby to be viable in Roman culture was that the father had to claim it as his own for it to stay alive. And if the father didn't claim it, they would carry the baby to the woods and leave it alone. And so there's a reason why God wants procreation to happen inside the bounds of marriage. It's not just for the sake of procreation, it's for the care of the child that comes after the act of procreation. This is, this is radical and which, by the way, just warms my heart to think about what Paul talks about in Romans when he talks about how we've been adopted as sons and daughters. We have been claimed by the Father, left out in the world to die a sinner's death and God goes and runs and looks after us and claims and says, that is my child. That's, that puts a whole new idea of adoption to what Paul is talking about is he claims us. So it's procreation. Another one is partnership. Partnership in Genesis chapter two, verse, uh, verse 18. Uh, when God creates the male and female, he said it's not good that you would be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. So God creates this this marriage relationship for companionship. And sex inside of the marriage is almost like this uh, active super glue that bonds us closer to one another, which is a great way to, to bring together a husband and a wife. And it's one of the reasons why he's against sexual immorality because remember, we talked about it last week, it's how he bonds them into one flesh, how the two become one. And so for those folks that have sex outside of marriage, if those relationships don't work out and people break up, you, t- you see them and you talk to them and it's like they're grieving the death of a loved one. And, and that's because it, there's been this joining of a personhood. The two have been, and they feel like someone has literally been ripped from them, from, the, from their inside. And, and that's a very hurtful, harmful thing. And that's why God says, don't use the super glue outside the context of which the super glue was intended. Just use it inside of the marriage for the partnership, for the companionship. And then finally, it's the picture. The picture, God's design for this is the picture. And we get the picture in Ephesians chapter five, remember, marriage is a picture of how Jesus loves the church. And the church responds to Jesus's sacrificial love for them, laying down his life, saying, my body is not my own, I will lay it down to pay for your sins. And the church responds, lovingly responds, submits to Christ. And that represents the picture of the husband and wife, the picture of marriage. And that's the way that it's supposed to look as a picture to the world, your marriage, that that should blow your mind, that your marriage is supposed to provide a picture to the world of how Jesus loves the church. No pressure. But that's that's God's purposes. That's why he put sex inside the context of marriage. A great analogy that I've heard many times, and maybe you've heard it before, is the, it, it's sex inside of marriage is like a fire inside of a fireplace. Inside the fireplace, it has a great purpose. It provides light. It provides warmth. It provides a wonderful ambiance and comfort but you take fire outside of the fireplace and it's very dangerous. It can burn things down. And so that's why God puts it inside the bounds of marriage because he wants the fire to warm the house, not to burn the house down. And so he puts it there so that you can understand his purposes. So he puts it inside of a very secure environment. And so I want to just change our perspectives here in looking at marriage. And first, I want you to look at sex as a reflection of the security each spouse senses in your marriage. See, all of these purposes provide each spouse with a sense of security, that you are my one and only. And when you think about sex, um, it's a very, gosh, an incredibly vulnerable thing. To engage in, and true vulnerability happens in the context of unimaginable security. And you know this, even if you just think about this in, in a conversation, in conversations where you've been vulnerable to tell something, you know, some deep dark secret, or you've told somebody something, you've bore your soul to them it's been in the context of security. You feel very secure that what you tell them, they're not gonna take and spread around to everybody or you know, use that against you. Vulnerability happens inside the context of security. And so when we start talking about this idea of being so vulnerable in the act of sex, it happens in a great context that's meant to be secure. You see, sometimes, as I told you, married couples will come in and we talk about that and we'll talk about how, you know, I told you one of the presenting issues is sex and it's how we don't, you know, we don't have enough sex. Great, how secure does each person feel? And I'm talking about secure overall because if you've lost trust in one another, it's gonna be really hard for one or the other person to be vulnerable in that way. And you think about it, that's the context of marriage is an incredibly vulnerable thing where two people are coming together. In Genesis chapter two, verses 24, all the way back from the beginning, the way that God designed it. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Just think about about the context of that for a minute. We are going to leave our father and mother Everything we've ever known, the people that have provided us food, shelter, and clothing our entire life, we are supposed to leave and go and cleave to one another. We are leaving all the security that we've ever known, and we're going to go try this on our own. It's a very vulnerable place to go, and so you've got to have a sense of security, You've got to feel like uh, you can trust the other person. You've gotta feel like they have your back. And that's something that I want all of us uh, as, who are married to keep in the back of our minds because guess what, sex is only a symptom of the security that the spouse feels in the rest of the relationship. What happens in the bedroom starts in the living room. If you're not being kind, if you're not being trustworthy all of those wonderful things that's nurturing the relationship then it's no wonder the other person doesn't want to be completely vulnerable with you so you've got to nurture the entire relationship and build it up in a way that it's there is trust there is safety there is security if you ever wanna to move toward vulnerability and intimacy, okay? Moving on to verses three and four. Sex is something to give out of love rather than take by right, which plays right into the security idea. If you feel secure, then sex is something that you can give. Sex is not often thought about that way. I mean, if you think about uh, the, the verbs that come after Sex, the noun sex, or 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 in that context, sex is usually talked about as something to take, make, or have. It's not usually talked about as something to give. But when you look at the context, when you're in a context of that secure relationship, one husband, one wife, then it's something to actually give. Look at verses three and four. He says, the husband, notice the husband goes First, husbands take the lead, and we're gonna, I'll say that again later on. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, don't miss the likewise. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, I know this can dredge up a ton of stuff. Because when you read those sentences that the, the people do not have authority over their own bodies, alarm bells go off. And I know that uh, there are people that are listening to me now where you have been abused and I'm sorry. Because that is never God's intent. Ever. Ever. This is not a scripture that is to be used as a club on anyone to beat them into submission. This is, this is not a, a verse that should be used in, in an authoritarian style. This is not a verse that's to be used as an, a verse for entitlement in any way that's not the purpose of what he's talking about. What Paul is highlighting here is the one flesh idea. He's highlighting that the two have become one. And so they are one flesh. Mi casa es su casa. My body is your body. That's That's the idea that he's talking about here. The two are one. And we live very separate lives, and I understand why people start to try to pull away from that if they are being or feeling abused or insecure. I understand that. But that's not the context and the ideal picture that God is painting here, because both are equal. Remember, equality in dignity, value, personhood, and respect. That's what it is here, because the same that applies to the wife applies to the husband in this verse. That's why the husband goes first. That's why I told you, don't miss the likewise. And he says, because you are one flesh, and because you are, and in fact, again, I mentioned this last week, as Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter five, to care for one another as if they are your own body, the two, one flesh idea. He says, therefore, give them their conjugal rights. And let me, interpret that for you Uh, you, I mean I know you know what that means but actually the Greek word that is used there is actually a verb which means to give what has been pledged or promised it doesn't say conjugal rights right there but in the context we know that's exactly what he's talking about but what he is literally saying there is husband give to your wife what you pledged or promised and wife give to your husband what you have pledged or promised. Yes, this is pointing back to the marriage ceremony, which is why we say when we perform ceremonies here at church in in the presence of God and these witnesses because you are making pledges and promises to one another. That's that's what he is referring to here. There is that that sexual pledge or promise to be theirs and theirs alone in the context of marriage. That's what he's talking about. So I want you to look at your marriage differently again, and I want you to look at it in a way to serve your spouse with sensitivity before you expect intimacy. Look to serve your spouse with sensitivity before you expect intimacy. And I've been very careful to use the word sensitivity because um, you have to be sensitive to your spouse's needs. And yes, circumstances can determine priorities. And those priorities might not be your own because you might say, honey, I'm ready to serve you. And there might be a million other ways she would rather you serve her than the way you are thinking about serving her, okay? And that's why you have to use some sensitivity to care for them, because that's what you pledged when you stood before God and these witnesses, was not just to serve with your conjugal rights, but to serve in every way possible, to consider their needs above your own, to put them first and not yourself. That's what Philippians chapter 2, verses three and four says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'll talk to husbands here for just a second. Husbands, are you putting your wife's needs above your own? Are you looking to serve her first and foremost? Remember, Christ took the initiative to lay down his life while we were yet sinners. He, The church, we, didn't deserve it. He wasn't waiting to be in the mood to do it, to serve, meaning... He took the initiative, laid down his life. Are you taking that initiative? Because your body, guys, is not your own, which means, I'm going to give you a challenge, that if she wants to hold hands, you hold her hand. Uh, We have have some friends that talk about NST, non-sexual touch. And it seems to be, and I don't want to be stereotypical, but something that is very important to a lot of wives are NSTs, non-sexual touch, to put your arm around her, to hold her hand, to hug her with nothing expected beyond that. To just, hey, if she has your body, you do, right? Your body is not your own, it belongs to her. Are you using your body in a way to serve her, to brush her hair, to cuddle with her? I'm telling you, you guys are going, are you kidding me? I have to. Your body is not your own. Are you using your body in a way to serve? Now, I've got to give a quick disclaimer here, okay? Although. Sex is something very mysterious, as Paul calls it, as it represents Christ the church. It's not mathematical. So do not come up with equations in your head, okay? Because two plus two does not equal four in this realm. And you're going to go home, and you're going to wash dishes. You're going to take the car and get it washed and vacuum it out and armor all it and, you know, You're going to be sweeping under the rug. You're going to to do everything. And you're going to go, hey. (laughs) And at least 60% of you are not going to be noticed. And it's going to be like, okay, hi. (laughs) And you're going to be thinking one thing. And the other person's not going to be thinking of another thing, and again, this is all place to communication inside of marriage, which we need security and vulnerability and transparency for. Okay, but don't come up with equations, because go back to Jesus. Okay, when Jesus laid down his life, what what did we get in return? Did he get a bunch of robots that now all submit to him, or was it an invitation? and say all who will may come, this is, I'm laying down my life and I would do it for you time and time again as an invitation so that you would just see my love for you. It didn't mean that everybody was gonna bow the knee, but it meant that we all had an invitation to come in and it's this kindness that draws us in. Husbands, it's the kindness that draws our wives in, kindness. Okay, so don't come up with equations. And then finally, sex is never to be manipulated for selfish reasons. Never to be manipulated for selfish reasons. Sex by design is a powerful thing. And power can easily be manipulated. And that's not the way that God ever intended it to be. Look at verse five: "Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control." So He's given you the inbounds, He's given you the fireplace, and he says, "Don't deprive one another. Why? Because they would be tempted, a spouse would be tempted to go find the fire outside the bounds of marriage. And he says, "Don't deprive one; of, don't don't deprive your spouse of that, unless he says there's something going on, and you're gonna, um, in a sense, fast." and he says if you both agree to deprive one another and to stop that kind of engagement if you both agree for a limited time to devote yourselves to prayer there are three requirements there then you can deprive yourselves of that but then come back together again now if those if that engagement is not occurring in your marriage i doubt it's because you've agreed upon it for a limited amount of time so that you're both devoting yourselves to prayer okay those are the requirements and if those aren't the circumstances that you're depriving one another then it could there's something else going on remember sex is a symptom it's just it's a, it's a warning sign What else, what is going on underneath the surface? And again, we are here to help because if you're depriving one another uh, unduly, unfairly, not communicating, all those kind of things and using it to manipulate in a powerful way, then it's, he says, Satan is going to come and tempt you. You see, remember, husbands, wives, your battle is not against flesh and blood. And what I've realized as I've been in ministry, is there's always a third person in your marriage. And I'm not talking about the toddler that crawls in the bed. It's either God or it's Satan. And if God is not at the center of your marriage, you're opening the door and inviting Satan in. There's always a third person there. And so I want to ask you, to look to God as the tie that binds to unify you in your marriage. Look to God as the tie that binds to unify you in your marriage. I love what Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. And then he ends in verse 12 by saying, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Who is the third cord there as he's talking about this braided rope? It's God. If God is not at the center of your marriage, I'm telling you Satan is coming in to divide you two. There's always a third person looking for a seat at your table. And we need to invite the Lord to be at the center of our table and at the center of our marriages. And so that's what we're gonna do right now because one thing that I know is true is that couples that pray together stay together. And so we're gonna pray right now. And so wherever you are, if you would bow your heads And if you're not married, I'm going to give you a couple things to pray for as well. But I specifically want to focus on husbands and wives and you praying together. And if you feel like it's appropriate, maybe hold your spouse's hand. And I want you to pray first that God would be the center of your marriage. Just ask Him. You have not because you ask not. Ask that God would be at the center of your marriage. If you're not married, ask God to be the center of your life. Now would you ask God to make you the husband that he wants you to be, the wife that he wants you to be? And if you're not married, would you ask him to be the Christ follower? Because that, that's where it all starts. The right kind of husband, the right kind of wife starts with the right kind of Christ follower who's seeking first the kingdom of God. Pray for yourself. And now pray for your spouse. You might not know what to pray right now, and that's okay. If you don't know what to pray, here's what I'm gonna ask you to pray for, that God would open up a door at an appropriate time for you and your spouse to have a real, transparent, vulnerable, safe, and secure conversation about where the two of you are right now in your relationship together, but also in your relationship with the Lord. And if you're not married, would you pray for a couple that you know? Many couples have struggled these past few months. Just lift up a couple. That couple represents the way that Christ loves the church. They're a great picture. Pray for them. God, I'm reminded of what Jesus said when he talked about marriages. What God has joined together, let no man separate. You desire for those marriages that made those pledges and commitments before you to be undivided, and so, Lord God, I pray that you would protect the marriages inside of our church, that you would bond those husbands and wives together closer and closer, that they may represent you to a lost and dying world that has no idea of what unconditional love looks like from you, but they can get a sense of it by the marriages that they see, where your unconditional love rules and reigns in their hearts. We are yours first and foremost, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.